makes you such a threat. We choose the right to be who we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth and a way not to live with Earth. We choose the way of Earth. It's about power, power. I say greetings and good day and welcome my relatives. I shake your hands with good feelings in my heart and it's a good day for it's a good day for all of us to be here really. And this is First Voices Radio and I send you greetings and strength from the east gate of Turtle Island where the sun and the water touch the earth at once. And I'm Tio Kazengo's horse and you are listening to an all native hosted all Native produced First Voices Radio, and Liz Hill is a producer of First Voices Radio. You can hear us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprouts, Spotify, as well as First Voices Indigenous Radio. Well, out in Nevada, northern, dry, arid northern Nevada, there lives a people called the Paiute, in this case, the northern Paiute. And there is something going on that people are unaware of. They bypass. They don't understand the balancing that the earth is struggling to do right now with all that we do to her as humans, as people, as Americans, as whatever system that comes from, whether it be democracy, capitalism, whether it be communism or any other ism. And mining is one destructive idea that's out there. Um, that lithium is just one of many minerals and metals, including cobalt, copper, and nickel, manganese, manganese, graphite, and more, required to supply electric vehicles and energy storage batteries. The more lithium that is mined, and the more batteries that are put into the pipeline to build with that lithium 
the more of these other materials will be needed. More lithium enables more mining across the board. And mining is the most destructive human activity on Earth. And those who promote net zero clean energy and clean technology, like EVs, want more of this destructive activity at a time. When we know that we are in the middle of a sixth mass extinction, whether you believe that or not, maybe you haven't done enough research to understand that, that you're going to continue to get all you want out of habitat loss and overdevelopment, that which is causing or has, are causing far more species and biodiversity loss than any other factor, and that without healthy, clean, intact ecosystems on Earth, we doom ourselves along with countless other species to certain extinction. It's happening as I speak. What we need instead is, is less of everything. We need to shift to a culture that values less rather than more. We need to end growth for its own sake, produce less and consume less. We need to respect value and honor every single acre of wilderness, every ounce of clean water, every molecule of clean air we have left. We, what we can, but can we, as a culture, as a civilization, do this? It would seem ironic that a civilization would, would know how to do this before it becomes a culture of civilization. Or will we continue to strip mine to earth for batteries and cars? Will Falk is a biolific, is a writer, <laughs> a lawyer, and an author. And how dams fall, stories the Colorado River told me, published by Homebound Publications. And the book describes his relationship with the Colorado River through his involvement in the first ever American federal lawsuit seeking rights for a major ecosystem, the Colorado River. He's published numerous articles and essays through Earth Island Journal, The Dark Mountain Project, and Counterpunch, and many others. Will's website is willfalk.org. And uh, I wanted to welcome back Will to this episode of First Voices Radio as he is at Thacker Pass, near Thacker Pass, and as this interview, which was taken yesterday, about what's going on today and the following days and weeks, in a place that is so remote, people have a hard time mentioning this place. And we'll talk about that a little bit more, but right now, we're going to welcome Will Falk. On the line, we have Will Falk. And Will, welcome to First Voices Radio, way out there in the desert of Nevada, if that's where you're at indeed. Good morning. I am there, Tiakasin. I am um, uh, in a hotel room because I have a legal deadline tonight. Um, so I'm actually in a, in a hotel in Winnemucca, Nevada, scrambling to get a, a, a legal document filed for, for our lawsuit. You say you're scrambling, so it, it sounds like it's urgent matter because there's a lot of things going on there with that Lithium Americas that you started that this uh, email that I got from you, Trouble Thacker Pass Lithium and Mine. Tell us why you feel 
if that's an optimistic statement or not. Yeah, we um, things have been moving really quickly from a legal perspective uh, here um, with with Thacker Pass or, or with Pahimaha as the Paiute call call the area. Uh, we found out in uh, at the end of May that the corporation uh, was planning on trying to engage in these archaeological digs uh, as soon as June 23rd. Um, that date was pushed back to July 29th through a, an agreement um, in the ongoing lawsuit that four uh, environmental groups had filed against um, BLM for permitting this project. Uh, but uh, because there was no one in the case that was bringing uh, Native American rights um, to the judge, no one arguing anything about tribal sovereignty, uh, we worked really hard to um, file what's called a motion to intervene, uh, which we filed last week. And that motion to intervene um, would allow would allow uh, my two clients, which are a group of of members of the Fort McDermott and Duck Valley reservations. Um, they call themselves the people of Red Mountain and they're, they're composed of uh, people who have been raised traditionally. Um, um, many of the members uh, are Paiute language speakers first. Um, and then my other client is the Reno Sparks Indian Colony, um, actually their, their tribal government. And uh, we are arguing that uh, the Bureau of Land Management failed in its obligations to engage in meaningful government government consultation with the Reno Sparks Indian Colony um, and um, many other of the probably 15 or 20 tribes that attach religious and cultural significance to Himaha, to Thacker Pass. Um, so we were trying to get that in before this July 29th date. And we were able to get it in on Tuesday, July 20th, but we asked the judge to consider our motion on an expedited basis. Um, and she did grant that um, that expedited review, but then it me meant that all of our deadlines were much faster turnarounds than would normally happen. And therefore I am in the hotel um, frantically trying to respond to the corporation's opposition to our uh, motion to intervene. So, Will Falk, the um, UN Declaration of uh, Rights for Indigenous Peoples, or UNDRIP, as they call it, um, back in 2007, 2008, when they signed that, they had a, a first three uh, thought processes were free, prior, and informed consent. It sounds like this is in that context of why the BLM and other government officials did not really, to me, um, use that and they just bypassed it. But is, is that what you're saying, that they need consultation before they even can consent to anything? Yeah, and, and even better than me saying it, the National Historic Preservation Act requires this of the Bureau of Land Management. Uh, so that is the law that we're bringing most of these claims under. And that law um, provides um, whenever, whenever there are historic properties that are eligible for a list called the National Register of Historic Properties um, are affected by a federal agency's um, um, planned projects or projects that they're going to permit, like the Thacker Pass lithium mine, 
Um, whenever that happens, and there are 58 known historic properties in, in Thacker Pass, and, and maybe more if BLM would have actually consulted with Native peoples about this, but whenever that happens, this National Historic Preservation Act says that BLM uh, must consult with any um, tribe that attaches cultural or religious significance to, um, to that project area and um, give them a reasonable opportunity to um, explain their concerns about the project, um, you know, describe with as much detail as the tribes want um, what is actually in the project area. The law even uh, contemplates the fact that Native people might hesitate to, um, to divulge some of that information, understanding that looters and um, others might come and, and you know, desecrate uh, uh, sacred places and sacred objects. Um, so it, that law actually actually has a very strong consultation process uh, with with Indian tribes, and um, with the BLM did not honor that. They they simply sent letters to three tribes out of the probably fifteen or twenty that um, do consider Thacker Pass sacred or at least historically and culturally significant. Um, and so we are we are trying to force BLM to engage in the consultation process that the law requires. So the Bureau of Land Management, the BLM there in Winnemucca, where you are at, is as you're essentially saying it's failed to honor any of its obligations. And what I'm thinking, since the BLM is um, under the Department of Interior, how far and has Deb Holland got in, involved with Anything up to, as you would say, the, that this North American Coal Corporation, um, it, there's delays in permitting, and I think you said opposition and other concerns from local areas besides Native people. Is that true? Yeah, um, there are there are uh, local ranchers and farmers that oppose the lithium mine. Um, there, in fact, one rancher who has grazing permits on the on Thacker Pass, he's filed uh, his own lawsuit. He was one, I think he was the first person actually to sue BLM over the project area. Um, so there, there is local opposition. Um, it is, you know, it is a different kind of opposition. Um, it's, you know, there's a much deeper spiritual and cultural aspect to uh, the native uh, opposition, um, you know, Thacker Pass named Pahimaha, which means rotten moon in, in the Paiute, in the Numic language, um, was named so because there was a massacre in Thacker Pass. Um, and so they, they um, you know, the Paiute and, and other people who consider Thacker Pass sacred, um, you know, liken this, these archaeological digs in, in Pahimaha as uh, to, to archaeological digs at the battlefield at Gettysburg or um, at Pearl Harbor or Arlington National Cemetery, they consider this desecration on the same level as if someone took excavators to Arlington National Cemetery. So, so with Deb Holland, and I think it said that she promised that these agencies will actually get involved, or is that just just hearsay so far? Um, yeah, sorry, I didn't answer that part of your question. Um, 
Yeah, the the Biden administration actually made an executive order. Um, I think it was in the first week um, that he he took um, over the administration. Uh, he actually issued a, an executive order that um, you know obligated federal agencies with in, in the president's language um, engaging in meaningful and robust government to government consultation with the tribes. And Deb Holland, as a as the Secretary of the Interior and running one of the biggest um, federal agencies um, that exists, uh, it must follow that. Um, and of course, Deb Holland has, you know, in the media and other things, um, really expressed her desire as the first Native Secretary of the Interior um, to really give meaning to that executive order. Um, unfortunately, we have not been able to get through to Deb Holland. Um, despite uh, many uh, attempts to do so. Um, and we are in fact, um, you know, we are, have in fact listed the Department of the Interior as one of the defendants um, in our motion to intervene. So maybe getting sued might wake up Deb Holland, but um, we, are, we are trying to say that, um, you know, if, if you're gonna give meaning to these words, if you really are gonna engage in meaningful and robust consultation with with the tribes, then you need to make sure that happens here with, with the Thacker Pass lithium mine. Okay, I think that that is a must. I think listeners out there really who are up on Thacker Pass and that lithium mine, and for those years and information that's been researched by people who have been listening, one question I think was asked, how big is lithium uh, America is because as the subheading is lithium Nevada, is that right? Yeah, lithium Nevada. So is this mean that lithium Americas is actually down in South America? Is that how big this corporation is? Yeah, so uh, lithium Nevada is the American subsidiary um, of a Canadian parent company called Lithium Americas. So Lithium Americas uh, owns Lithium Nevada and is, is headquartered in Vancouver. Um, and yes, Lithium Americas uh, is a, I believe a majority owner of a lithium mine down in, um, uh, I think it's in Bolivia. Um, but uh, that, there, that down there, indigenous groups around that mine have also complained that they were not adequately consulted about this project. Um, so it seems like Lithium America as part of their MO is to get these projects in quickly before anyone's had a chance to really understand uh, what they're about. And um, I think they're relying on this um, sort of blind faith from the environmental movement that anything that's called green energy is is good for the planet. Um, so that's what they've done here. Thank you for that, Will Falk. Um, I'm thinking about this National Congress of American Indians, who is one of the oldest, I think, or uh, native organizations uh, with Indians and Alaska, but also there are other groups that are filing complaints. And I think one you said was the Register of Professional Archaeologists, who um, I don't know if they're decided, they're digging up the cultural sites and giving that information to um, Lithium Nevada. Is that true? Yeah, so there's a, um, um, in order to, before before they can um, start digging up this open pit mine, 
um, they have to do some surveys of, of the cultural resources that are in um, Pahimaha. Um, and uh, they, they already know about a th- over a thousand cultural resource sites, which can include anything from um, you know, artifacts and tools to um, ancient campgrounds um, and even perhaps uh, places where people were buried. Um, and so the law requires them to um, what's called quote unquote, mitigate the adverse effects to those cultural resource sites. Mm-hmm. Well, from the Western archeological perspective, um, the most important thing about those artifacts and those human remains are the information that they provide to Western science. It's not about their importance to native people's culture. It's not about um, the sacredness that native people attach to things like artifacts. Um, and so mitigating for these Western archeologists is, is pulling the artifacts up out of the ground, taking them somewhere where they can be studied, carbon dated, that kind of thing, um, which my clients is an absolute desecration and a total um, spiritual insult. Um, so that's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And, and like you say that these folks have not even began or begun to consult with the, the native, the Paiute, um, they just gone ahead and according to their rules, they, they can because they can, is that correct? To dig, yeah. to dig, yeah, remove. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, it's, I think it's a really important point about um, colonization and uh, understanding the historic context that all of this is happening in. You know, if you if you t- if you remember that uh, there on the North American continent there were hundreds of already functioning governments here before mm-hmm. Europeans came, in, and in northern Nevada, the Paiute and Shoshone and other peoples had. Um, uh, well-functioning governments, well-functioning cultures that did not lead to things like massive lithium mines, did not lead to the destruction of the planet. Mm-hmm. And Europeans came here and forced them off their land um, at the point of a gun. And now, you know, people like to say that's all in the past, but now um, the federal government, after after pushing these native people away violently um, now claims that those artifacts aren't actually native peoples to control their American governments. Um, so this is a legacy of, of colonization and um, it's, it's um, like I said, it's just Imperial and um, uh, native people should be able to control the artifacts that their ancestors created and um, that are sacred to them. So, in short, the, the motion that you filed back in the 19th or 20th of this month in July, and and now you're, it, it's been a, I, I think from the beginning back in January, uh, in the middle part of January, where it seems to be everything was fast-tracked. I, I hear you, I see you, um, the people there, including the people of the Red Mountain, trying to run that race uh, in that context of what we don't know as common people, the legal ease that that it seems to be that people would sit down and talk with the native people. And this is my my point of view, that they would sit down and talk with people to see if it's okay to really even 
dig first first with archaeology or and even so bypassing the cultural anthropology of that area and it's basically diminishing any rights any thought any uh, thing to say that native people are still here indeed but this is really saying that it doesn't matter anymore because this is all about the lithium and keeping a, a civilization going um, so that we can still reap the benefits of the raping of earth these are my words now now will so in in, in a in a short sentence or so if we can give it to the people where why must they pay attention to what's going on out in in Nevada with the lithium mine. Now we can tell the future is about electric cars and whatnot, and people say that's going to be better for the environment. What can we tell the people so that they will pay more attention to this? Because as you know, Enbridge is going on in Minnesota, and that's a fossil going out of out of style, I suppose. Now we're on to the next trendy <laughs> extraction is is lithium so can um, what can you give to the people that will indeed turn their heads to in at least in that area as the locals are to understand what they can do along with the pyramid lake paiute tribe well people need to understand that green energy is 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 misleading um and it all it is doing, all that they're trying to do is replace, is is change the energy with which this dominant culture, who, as you explained, is based off of raping the earth and extracting things from the earth. Mm. Um, that's all that they're trying to do is replace the, the energy that this dominant destructive culture runs on. And mining is mining, whether it's for lithium or coal or gold, it's all destructive. And... Oftentimes it destroys um, land sacred to indigenous peoples. And that's going to, that's going to be ongoing if, if um, you know, the capitalists achieve this transition to what they call alternative energies. Hmm. Um, so we have to fight extraction, whatever it's for. Yeah. So your next move tomorrow, this week, next, next week. <laughs> I've got to get this. I've got to get this uh, reply to the opposition uh, filed today, and then we'll hear from the judge in the next day or two whether we've been admitted into the case, hmm. and then uh, we will move for a preliminary injunction to stop the desecration of, of the Himaha, stop archaeological digs in in that area. Okay, so so good to talk with you, Will. It's just an honor to to see that you young folks are out there doing what's need, what the earth needs us to do as as humans first of all, and then the being will move everything. So thank you for your work, and um, yeah, I'm sure a lot of Paiute are going to remember you and uh, Max for doing what you're doing for the earth. So and for all life actually. So thank you, Will. It's it's just good to have you here. Yeah, we've had good role role models on you. All right, then. All right, take care. At the current time, Far Western Anthropological Research Incorporated, for profit corporation, plans to excavate over 1,000 cultural sites and ancestors from Pihimuhu through mechanical trenching as soon as today, July 29th. And this proposed destruction is tied to a cultural study for which tribal consultation occurred prior to the current mine plan, and we view this as inadequate. We also understand that consultation does not equate to consent. 
So the National Historic Preservation Act of uh, <clears throat> Section 106 requires uh, the identification and assessment of historic properties which may be affected by activities such as a proposed Thacker Pass mine. And they understand that there is a significant flex flexibility provided in the in the determination of specific methodologies employed to satisfy those requirements. And so way up in northern Nevada, near the Oregon border, is the northern Paiute. And you also can find more with protectthackerpass.org and know that this is much more than just the mining that it's going to require other mining to produce these vehicles that people are <clears throat> acquiescing to called electric cars and other electric devices to make life more comfortable for those who can afford that. And so I'd like to thank you. That was Will Falk uh, as an attorney working with the northern Paiute, the Atu Kudu. Kudaku, we knew who, people of the Red Mountain, and I'd like to thank you for this part of First Voices Radio. If I told you what I'd seen, would you believe me?
understand that in this technologic reality that we live, this technologic dimensional reality that we live in, we understand that they can take the DNA of the earth that is called uranium in that shape and form. So they can take that DNA of the earth that is uranium and it has being, spirit, and they can take it from the earth and they put it through a mining refinement process and convert the being part of that uranium into a form of energy, electrical energy, that they call power and in a way it is power, but, but in reality it's a mutated form of power. And after they do this kind of a process, then, then we, under, you know, we know that there's toxic waste and that there's poison left over from it. And we know they do it with fossils. Take that old dinosaur DNA and put it through the mining refining process and convert the being of that DNA into a form of energy that runs, again, another electrical system. And that also leaves behind its pollutions and its things. See, so I think that they're doing it to us. Because we come from the same reality, we're made up of the same thing. Our shape is different. That's all. Our shape and our function is different because our shape is different. But you come down to the genetic makeup of all of it, or the majority of water. But water has metals in it and it has minerals in it. See, but I think as a part of that reality, see, that we're being mined. The being part of human is being mined. It's being mined by a perception of reality. And the people who enforce that perception of reality by indoctrinating it into every generation of human beings that is born. See, so, to me, one of the purposes of this technologic perceptional civilization is that we are the fuel that runs it. And the poison the toxic that is left over from the mining of the being part of human through the human, through the intelligence of the human. All right, all the fears and doubts and insecurities that, that we have in our lives within our own personal reality about who we are, the things that others don't see, that's the pollution and the toxic left over from the mining of the being part of human. That's the pollution that's left over, see, because in that kind of a haze, see, we don't see ourselves clearly. We do not see and recognize clearly who we are, and we're never encouraged to. 
We're encouraged to be good citizens or good this religion or good that religion or good, you know, good workers, good. (laughs) But we're never encouraged to be real about human beings. In a way, we're never really encouraged to be good to ourselves. See, we're mentally and psychologically oppressed and manipulated so that we seek things to gratify ourselves. But that doesn't mean we bring good to ourselves. And the mining process, to me, you know, it's the civilizing process itself. Because somewhere in there, it's like someone's eating spirit. Our spirit is being converted into an energy to run something. All right? And it's like it's eating our spirit. See, and, you know, everyone has their religions and their stuff. See, but it makes me wonder, how do we participate in this spiritual reality If we live in a mechanism now where the human has been conditioned and trained to eat its own spirit and turn it into fuel for the system. 500 years ago, across the sea they came, invaded our land, took away our home. Mother shared a story. child for speaking Cree. Why were they so mean? Tell me
life was about responsibility and the earth was the mother and at some point in the evolution of the human beings another perception of reality appeared and this perception of reality it took the spirit away from the animals and all of the other things and it started changing spirit into human form the gods and the goddesses so at some point in the evolution see it started to take the way the people prayed but it has to do with iron and bronze and all these things being, being starting to become mined. So it's like it kind of evolved in this kind of a way. It's like, see, in a way, religion emerged, in it, but it was like a mining tool for the technologic reality that was manifesting itself through industrialization. But it became almost like a tool, see, because you got to go to the center of where the human being is, because all human beings want to know where we come from and where we're going, what's our purpose. So you've got to go there if you're going to mess with them. You have to go there to the very beginnings. The beginnings and the heart of the spiritual realities. So the God thing evolved, the religious thing that changed the creation story from being a creation story to where there was a new story. And this new story was that there was a male dominator God removed from the earth who owned everything because he made it. So he owned it. All right, now, at this point, in our common collective genetic ancestral memory, every one of our relations back in that time rejected this because life worked for them. Because the earth was the mother and the sky was the father, it's like the great spirit, spirits, everything, it worked for them. They maintained a balance, they knew who they were, they knew what their purpose was, they knew their relationship to power, they knew everything about their lives, so it worked for them. But they were forced to accept this other perceptional reality through violence and terror and aggression. Same thing happened to the Indians here, by the descendants of the tribes of Europe, happened to the tribes of Europe and their descendants. That's why they behaved the way they did when they got here. And this is where I think sexism comes from. I think it comes from our relationship to the earth. See, I think sexism was one of the mining tools because when you're going to convince all of the human beings in whatever tribes that they're in, as you come into contact with them, you had to turn them against the earth to promote this male god thing, to alter the perceptional reality. So this is where sexism came. It came as a way because, see, as long as the people considered themselves to be the children of the earth and a part of the earth, they would not plunder the earth. They would not aid and abet or accept the plundering of the earth because the earth is their mother. 
See, that's why sexism came in as a way, because in order to attack the earth amongst the human beings they came into contact with, they had to attack their perceptional reality about the woman in relationship to the earth and life. So sexism, so it, became, it was like a mining tool to help turn us against the earth and make the earth available for plunder. So in order to have all this experience get dumped down in our ancestral past, because it was all like what I'm saying is this mining process. As the technology grew, the ways and methods of mining remained the same. And it's almost like a predatory behavior. They never, the behavior pattern never really changes itself. What the behavior pattern does is it just outlasts the generations. So after five generations are gone, the behavior pattern can be as predatory as it ever was, like medieval civil, uh, Europe. The behavior pattern can be as aggressive as it ever was because after five generations, who's going to remember what was there? The terminology changes, the technology changes. So it's like there's this thing that just kind of been to me, right? That's a part of this civilization that just, it just kind of re-manifests itself, but the continual thing is it eats our spirit to me. used converts, feeds off of us in some kind of a way. See, so this is why it's important to separate everybody from any ancestral understandings and teachings because, see, they don't want anybody to know this. So everybody thinks they got hope. And the thing continues to spread because you women, look at what the women's suffrage was in, in the 1800s. So now you have the right to vote and you made certain little gains, but see, it's still the same war. And the concessions are given very slowly. And it's, it's this way with labor, it's this way with all of the things. But anyway, it's behavior pattern basically remains the same. And its means of conducting its behavior pattern, that's what really changes. And, and the generation of people that it gets conducted on, this changes. But in order for all this stuff to happen, they have to neutralize our intelligence. They have to create a confusion in our own perceptional reality. So somewhere in each and every one of us, there's a collective genetic memory that goes way back to the beginning of the original dream, the beginning of our stories. And our relationship to power in reality is connected to us understanding that that is there. But we're in a technologic perception of reality that does not want us to understand that. It's like severing our relationship to power is the objective, our use of our intelligence, see, and our coherency. So all this cloudy is created, this illusion, because really it is. Crazy or said we live in the shadow of the real world, see, and we really, really do. Under the male dominator creator theory, see, all spiritual value really is removed away from the earth. So the earth isn't your mother anymore. The earth is the dominion and property of this new God, and you are to subdue it. See, that's like Martians landing. It really is, see, because it's a completely different perceptional reality. Going from caring for the earth, all right, to dominating the earth. And incidentally, you know, as a part of this process, see, you, <laughs> incidentally, you created a moral crime for being born. <laughs> so therefore, you have to listen to the authority of this new male God because you made a crime for being here. You see, before, before that was brought here, life was a gift. 
So when, when you were born, it was like an exchange of gifts, a, li- a gift to a gift. And even dying was like a gift because it was, once again, it was an exchange of life because we were a part of a spiritual reality as physical beings. But anyway, this other thing she changed about there was something wrong with us for being born. See, and it's maybe a big thing. Or, see, to me, I think it's a major thing because, see, the first time that human being gets this, that they're guilty, all right, for being born, it alters their perception of self. It alters them from seeing themselves from the reality of who they are because they're picking up someone's illusion and they're viewing themselves through the illusion. And the way that that illusion seems to work, see, people don't learn from their guilt. They just make new guilts. See, so to me, in the end, it becomes a deal about irresponsibility. So even though all the words are being said, see, it's an irresponsible behavior. It's an irresponsible behavior because we are responsible for what we do. But when they condition us to feel guilty, and then we have to listen to their chain of command and be submissive to them, we are not taking responsibility. And we are not showing respect to our creator, whoever it is, all right, for the gift of intelligence and life. And you're listening to First Voices Radio. My name is Teokas and Ghost Horse. I want to thank you for joining us and for listening to what is very vital to the earth. The first song that you heard was by Michael Franti, What I've Seen. That's Michael Franti, F-R-A-N-T-I, and followed by John Trudell, Spoken Word, Mining Us, and um, off the album DNA, which is Descendant, now Ancestor. And then followed by a new release by Rhonda Head out of Canada, 500 Years. And you can also listen to 500 Years by going to her website, which is rhondahead.com. And then followed by Who Discovered America, Ozo Motley, definitely 2005. And then we followed that by John Trudell, another spoken word, Earth Was Mother. DNA Descendants, Now Ancestor is that album. And we'll finish up with a friend of mine, Nick Mulvey, out of England, in the Anthropocene. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you soon.
Come back, hail the brothers said we must remember the old. 